The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips and welcome. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Today we're asking the questions, how do we speak to kids about sex? While this is a culture in which most kids have been exposed to images of sexuality in social media, on TV series, in advertisements, and even porn at a young age, most teens have difficulty speaking about sex or really understanding how to negotiate anything from the changes in their own body to sexual attraction, much less, much less connection with somebody else. Now, our research tells us that when parents speak to their children about sex, it plays an important role in their children's understanding and later sexual decision-making. The problem is that's easier said than done. Our guests today have some answers. Joining us today is Dr. Andrew Smiler. He's an expert on boys, men, and masculinity, and he's the author of Dating and Sex, a Guide for the 21st Century Teen Boy. He's also written and he's been on Psych Up Live discussing Is Masculinity Toxic? And another important book, Challenging Casanova, Beyond the Stereotype of the Promiscuous Young Male. Our other guest is Joyce McFadden. She's a psychotherapist and the author of the groundbreaking book, Modern Mothering, based on her research and expertise on how girls learn sexuality from their moms. Joyce is a faculty member, training analyst, and clinical supervisor at the Training and Research Institute for Self-Psychology. She's a board member of the National Council on Women's Health and the Women's Mental Health Consortium. Her research has appeared on NPR and has been written about in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Oprah Magazine, and many more sites. Andrew Smiler and Joyce McFadden, it is my privilege to welcome both of you to Psych Up Live. Thanks for having me, Thank you for having us. Okay. You know, I thought that the subtitle of this show could be, How Do I Get a Tampon Out and How Do I Get a Condom On? Because (laughs) both of you make those references in your very, very important books. But I want to start, let's start out where I think most of our listeners are. How do we establish a comfort zone for the parents to speak to their youngster, be it a little one or a teen. Andrew, I'm going to start with you because the whole idea for this show came from Peggy Ornstein's column, which read, will we ever figure out how to talk to boys about sex? So, Andrew, if we have a 14-year-old boy and his dad is thinking, I I don't know what I didn't do right, I didn't know what I did wrong, (laughs) how do I even start and where should I start? What, What can you tell him? Um, I would tell him that I am glad that he is thinking about this and trying to figure it out. And I would say that the easiest place to start or the most straightforward place to start is often with popular media. We know that um, kids and parents often have shows or movies or whatever that they watch together. And 
I would inc- I often encourage parents to use that if if you watch Friends or Parks and Rec or Blackish or whatever Modern Family, you can ask your kid what they think about the relationships they're seeing on screen and which of those characters on that show they would choose to date and why that character. And it's a way to start the conversation to start to understand what your child looks for, what they know, and to do it with characters that you know, but like, it's not your best friend. You're not going to have to defend this person. So how about with um, one of the shows where they'll make, many of the shows will make references that an adult might take, understand, and a, a teen may or may not. They'll make a subtle reference to oral sex. So mm-hmm. a reference is made to that. What What is that show um, where it's it's two men and a little boy? What What is the show I mean? Oh, Two and a Half Men? Yes. Many references to oral sex on that show. Um, so what would a dad do? Would he let it go? Would he observe his kid's reaction? How, how could we intervene in something or use it in any so, way? So there are lots of ways to use that. And again, it comes back to some of the comfort level and and whatever conversations you've had before. If this is the first conversation for dad and son about anything sexual, you know, the dad might say, did you understand that joke? Now, if you say that, then you're gonna have to explain the joke and that might not be the first conversation you wanna have. You know, you might, if this is gonna be the first conversation ever between father and son about sex, you might really base that on the kid's reaction. And if your son doesn't seem to react you might let it go and you might just start talking about differences between uh, Charlie Sheen's character named Charlie, who whose goal seems to be to sleep with every woman he meets, and John Cryer's character, Alan, who really seems to want to find another woman to settle down and marry. Um, and you could just start with those two different kinds of approaches to dating or to relationships. Okay. All right. Now, Joyce, how would you suggest that a mom begin the conversation with her daughter. One thing that, one of your most important messages is the idea of a consistent life conversation. But how would, how would you set up that comfort zone? Well, I think the easiest way to do it is to start when they're very young because mm-hmm. what we forget about talking about sexuality, we think it's different from teaching them about other things, but it's really the same. Um, Education on any front begins with a slow and gradual process. So if you start when she's little, um, for example, there are many adult women who don't know what a vulva is, right? They they confuse vulvas and vaginas. So when when your toddler points to their genitals and says, what is this? You can just say, that's your vulva. Women have vulvas, girls have vulvas, and boys have penises. And it just starts from there because when they're little, they're just learning the names of body parts. For, and to her, there would be no difference between learning what her earlobe is and learning what her vulva is. She's just excited to be learning about her body. Mm-hmm. It's the adults who make the moral distinction. So the longer you don't talk about sex, the more society sort of is allowed to, is given space to sort of seep in those moral distinctions, which then make it much more anxiety-provoking. So starting out when they're little, it sets a tone of normalcy, and then if you're still talking about sexuality when, you know, teenagers start to clam up, 
it makes it easier for them because the precedent has been set, and more importantly, the relationship has been set, right? That these are things that we can talk about. I'm here for you. I'm happy to help you learn. And the other thing I would say to make it easier for parents is that to take the focus a little bit off the taboos of sexuality and to make it about wanting your daughter to grow into an adult who has a happy sex life. We want our kids to have full, happy, engaged lives, and sexuality is going to be a component of that. So thinking about contributing to her happiness rather than getting snagged on issues that have only to do with sex. And Mm -hmm. um, I think also anytime your child asks you a question, whether the child is 5 or 16, it's a privilege, right? It's a privilege to be able to answer their questions. And I often think that, you know, parents are so freaked out that the question is going to be something like, do you masturbate or how do you masturbate to the parent? And the parent, um, you know, will feel like their back is against the wall, but that's normally not what kids want to ask. They want, um, they want a connection with us. So they're not going to ask us specifics about our sexuality. And I get the coolest questions from girls that parents are missing out on. Questions like, um, how does, uh, this is what a, a seventh grader once asked, how, how does love that you feel in a sexual relationship feel different than the love that you feel for your family? That is mm, a really cool question. A question. And it, <laughs> right? And you can show how it puts sexuality within the context of the living out of a life, not just the behavioral aspects. But And the behavioral aspects are often the easier ones to ask because they're a little bit more straightforward. This is, your daughter might say, how do people masturbate? And you don't even have to self-disclose if you don't want to. You can say, well, a lot of women, and then you can list some ways. Some women masturbate against pillows. Some women and girls masturbate with the shower head. Some use just their hands. But the most important thing is that you know that it's normal and healthy, and I just want you to feel comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautifully said. And one of the things, and maybe it's good for our listeners to hear, what were in your research about, I think one of the questions is, what women wanted their mothers to talk about? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what were they, Joyce? Well, the thing... Again, we get so caught up in our own anxieties that we don't think about what the girl's experience is. And a lot of times if the mother is not helpful, for example, I found out in my research that a lot of mothers aren't even teaching their girls about, mas- about um, menstruation, let alone sexuality. So when a girl isn't given any support from her mother, she feels somewhat abandoned. And, and then that creates the social message that there must be something so shameful or horrible about her sexuality that it can't even be spoken of within the intimacy of the mother-daughter bond. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. So girls said, um, I wish my mom had had the confidence to talk to be, me about my sexuality and, and my body. I wish she'd instilled that in me. Or I wish my mom had had the confidence. Um, so they see us as lacking confidence when we don't disclose these things. And again, then they're left to reason, well, where does that lack of confidence come from? And even young girls know that the things we're happy about or proud of, we speak freely about. It's the things that we're ashamed of or that are bad that we keep secret. So girls wanted their mothers to be um, adult and to be good caretakers and to bring them forward into womanhood. Mm-hmm. Well said. Would you say, Andrew, that young men are also yearning to have somebody help them out 
answer some of the questions they have? And what's the what do you think is a typical question a boy has that he is never asking? Oh, the boys are absolutely wanting to hear about uh, romantic issues and sexual issues from their parents. Um, a lot of the boys that I work with and a lot of the adult men that I've interviewed um, say that they never really heard anything about romance or sexuality from their parents except for very generic kind of, you know, be good to your partner, but no real detail on what exactly that means to be good to your partner. Right. Um, and, and you know, the what we know from the research is that boys are less likely to have any conversation about sexuality with their parents. When they do, it tends to be very short. And boys often come away with the three don'ts. Don't get anyone pregnant. Don't get a disease. And really, for God's sake, just like don't have sex at all or at least don't <laughs> tell us about it. Um, and and that's, that's what most boys remember getting from their parents. Then we fast forward. They are on the college campus and... We all know, even though, that they are terrified by this hookup culture, both girls and boys. The girls are drinking to do it. The boys, as you have found in your work, as other books have said, you know, the boys really would like dating. In in one book um, called The End of Sex by Donna Friedis, at the college she was at, there was a class on dating. Well, it was so (laughs) over-registered because you had to date someone as part of the assignment. So it gave everyone this chance to date without looking goofy or nerdy or what's wrong with you, we don't do that here. So they are so yearning for knowing how to enter into a relationship without appearing unacceptable and with having the language. Um, One of the things that I wonder, I know we've talked before, Angie, that the boys don't even quite have the language for it. So if they say to a girl, do you want to do it? No one knows who's talking about what or what they're talking about. So if you said, if, if a young man said, to his dad or even to you as a therapist, I, I asked her if she wanted to do it, and she, she stopped talking to me. How would we help a young man? I know, and I want our listeners to know, your book is set up so that it talks directly to a teen boy in their language. It answers lists of questions. And how would you talk to a young man about the variety of ways of being sexual, for example. I know we're almost out of time, but where would a father even start, or where would you start as a therapist to model it? And and thanks for giving me all of two minutes to answer that question before the (laughs) break. We have Uh, time, okay. And and I'm going to echo one of the things Joyce said, which is to use, for parents to use the correct or accurate language with their kids. And that refers to body parts, that refers to sexual activities. You know, if what you're asking is to have sex with someone, say, do you want to have sex? If what you're asking is to kind of make out or fool around, you can say that. And again, you might need to teach, we might need to teach our kids what that means. Um, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and we had some very real distinctions between, say, making love and having sex. And every time I say making love, I feel like I'm right back in 1975 there. Um, <laughs> it's just where I go. You know, we can teach kids this verbiage. There is nothing particularly special about it. It's no more difficult, difficult than learning the verbiage of geometry or um, liter- literary criticism. It's just a set of words that we as adults sometimes get freaked out about because it relates to sex. Um, 
one of the things I ask my clients, and I, I do this when I do workshops, is to ask them to define what hooking up means. Because it's this incredibly vague term mm-hmm. that covers pretty much anything except actual dating. Um, and just having conversations around what does it mean to hook up and how do you use that term helps parents understand their kids, helps the teens clarify or young adults clarify what it is that they mean when they use those terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in other words... You're both saying the more, the less frightened the parents are about actually being up front and, and finding a language for themselves. And it may, the, the better off their kids are. I think, Andrew, your book and I think aspects of one of, the cha- one of your chapters is something that a parent could literally use. And I know, uh, Joyce, you've also recommended the book, It's Perfectly Normal. But to go back to your book, Andrew, I think a dad who read the book, I even think a teen girl who read the book and whose mom Mm -hmm. read the book, I think they would have a reference point because there would be, it becomes the third. Well, the book says that oral sex is this. And the book says that we should look at this um, YouTube on how to put a condom on so that you might give yourself a basis and a, a arena in which you have a helper, so to speak, to, to, make, to be more specific, as you and Joyce are both saying. Absolutely. And, and thank you for pitching Dating and Sex, a guide for the 21st century boy. I really appreciate it. Um, the, and the book is certainly written to be that kind of third person um, in, in some ways, in the same way that I was talking about using um, characters for media. Um, the book can serve that kind of informational function and let um, teens or adults kind of bounce off of the information that they're getting in the book. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Andrew Smiler, the author of Dating and Sex, a Guide for the 21st Century Teen Boy, and Joyce McFadden, psychotherapist and author of the groundbreaking book Modern Mothering, which discusses how girls learn sexuality from their mothers. Stay with us. More to come. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. There are many innocent people who were found guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Join criminal defense investigator Jeff Stein for Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Each show, we'll discuss the problem, and it is a problem. The fact that because of incompetent investigations and a poor judicial system, anybody can become a victim. Can we fix this? Tune in to find out. You can listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. We're back with experts Andrew Smiler and Joyce McFadden, and we're really considering the topic, how do we talk to our kids about sex? Um, And Joyce, I wanted to um, make reference to something in your important book. You described the scene that probably most of us have been afraid of, those having had kids, which is, all right, we're with our spouse or our partner. We are having sex, and our six-year-old daughter walks in, and says, Daddy, what are you doing to Mommy? And in your book, Mommy says, Ah, Daddy's tickling Mommy. And Daddy says, Mommy, I'm not, uh, we're having sex. We're making love. Now, <laughs> where do we go with this, Joyce? Because this is the scene most of us worry about. And how do we use it to help our parents have the language? What it shows is that, first of all, men feel more entitled to be, have, to be sexual than women do, right? So the child witnesses that disparity right off the bat. Um, and if women don't feel comfortable enough to own their sexuality, a situation like that just exacerbates their um, lack of comfort with it. But if the mother had said, had just answered honestly, yes, honey, we were making love, that's what people who love each other do sometimes. And then she could have opened up a conversation for her daughter, but the daughter was only six, so chances are just a brief response would have been enough for the child, right? Sometimes kids just Mm -hmm. want one brief answer. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if the child then tried to extend the conversation with more questions, um, the mother should just continue to be honest. And if she had already set the stage for being able to talk about body parts or anything like that, those conversations would come more easily, but, you know, life doesn't always go perfectly, so if a couple is surprised and their kids walk in on them, you can handle it as best you can in that moment, but you can follow up at any time. You could even a week later say, you know what, I was thinking, do you remember the day you walked in on mommy and daddy and I I looked surprised and I think you noticed that. Well, I want to talk about what what you saw, and that's when uh, you can explain lovemaking, just in very basic six-year-old terms. And that's just a great way to start because what that does is it normalizes sexuality in adults and it also shows that when the child has questions, the child can go to the parents and the parents will be straightforward because another thing that girls do not like is they don't appreciate being shut out by their mothers and being denied information, 
nor do they appreciate being told lies because mm-hmm. that then interferes with the, their ability to develop a trusting bond. And if you have trouble trusting your parent, you could say by extension, you may also then end up with a problem trusting your sexual partners as you grow. So mm-hmm. it's all, everything sort of ties in together. Mm-hmm. Well, two of the gifts in your book, uh, the, it's, it's a very valuable contribution, is this idea of an ongoing conversation and the recognition that what you tell a five-year-old or even an eight-year-old is not going to have the sexual connotation you fear it's going to have or you think it's going to overwhelm them. They're going to understand it in their terms. And if exactly. it's an ongoing conversation... they're going to revisit it, or you can revisit it. The other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, another motivation for parents to feel more emboldened to talk to their kids is that if I've had so many adult women in my practice, women in their 20s, 30s, and even their 40s, talk about, like, having an abortion and never having told their mothers, or um, they had their husbands had an affair and they never shared it with their mothers. And it's because if they've learned that they can't go to their mothers with those things, then sometimes when it's a crisis, they, they know that they can't. They think to themselves, and it's very reasonable, they kind of say, well, if my mom wasn't even able to talk to me about menstruation, she's surely not going to be able to handle talking about this crisis that I'm having. And I think if mothers knew that, it would make them very sad to know that, they're, they, that they had somehow participated in leaving their daughters out alone in the cold. And so, again, it's to to try and frame it around the sense of maintaining a a loving connection with your daughter, which also models her knowing that she's deserving of loving connections with her sexual partners as she ages. And then the very idea, Joyce, that you are talking to your daughter and she's talking to you gives this woman, this growing up young woman who becomes someone's partner, the language to talk about sex with her partner. Because that's mm-hmm. one of the things that mm-hmm. we, we were thinking of that, and I mentioned to Andrew as we were planning the show was, you know what? We are asking people to talk to their children. I do so much couple work. Couples are having a hard time talking to each other about sex, much less their mm-hmm. children. So it mm-hmm. is a gift for the future um, when a mother can let their child in. Um, <clears throat> one of the other things um, that we mentioned at the break, Andrew, that I, I wanted you to maybe give us some examples with is we are now, we've never been more concerned about consent. Right. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the Me Too movement. We know how people have suffered. And I mentioned to both of you that I was reading recently stories of uh, young women and young men who were caught up. In, in this nightmare, and even with all of our talk about consent, the story was of a young woman at a party. It's a hooking up party. She had a lot to drink. She ends up describing herself down in a kind of a laundry room with a young guy. She's sitting on the dryer. They start kissing, and soon he's taking her clothes off, and she thinks to herself, I can't stop this now. I should never have come down here. It's my fault. I just have to go along with it. And what we said was we never want that to be somebody's first sexual experience or to feel that boxed in and without options. How do we speak to, let's talk about teenage boys for a minute. How do we speak to, or it applies to both, boys and girls about consent, Andrew? 
Um, yeah, that's a great question and kind of a horrifying story there. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I talk to parents about, that I talk to boys and men about, is that they need to get permission. Um, permission is best when it is verbal. You know, if we can ask the question, even if we're just asking with, you know, kind of shorthand and grunting, um, that is that is considered the gold standard there. But we can also get permission non-verbally. You know, you can put your hand someplace new and wait for three seconds before continuing to see if that person moves your hand away or kind of moves it farther along or stops and looks at you and wonders what it is that you're doing. Um, but we can, we can talk about nonverbal communication as well. The other thing, and this, this goes a little more directly to your story here, is that <coughs> we need to teach, again, everybody, that just because I've given consent to kiss you or be kissed by you, um, that doesn't mean I have consent to kiss any other part of your body beyond your lips. Um, and that you need to keep asking for permission. And again, could be verbal, could be nonverbal. Um, that it's not, you know, as soon as you say yes to kissing somebody, that doesn't mean that you also get to have sex with them or do whatever else. And so we need to keep asking. And that every time we come back, if I see you, you know, Saturday and then we're together again the next Saturday, you know, it's kind of starting from scratch. And we can give consent and we can we can give consent anytime and we can revoke consent. We are not locked in. This is not some kind of legal contract where we have just uh, signed our life away. Um, we can change our minds in the middle. That happens with many activities um, and sex is just one of those. I think it is so great for kids to hear, you know, women and men, you can change your mind. You mentioned <clears throat> at one point in the book, if you text someone on Tuesday, do you want to have oral sex this weekend? You do not have a pass for that on the weekend. You have right. got you, to talk about that in person. Yeah, you, you need to ask again. You know, it doesn't mean the first thing you do is say, hi, let's go. I, there is still, you know, whatever consent needs to be given to, is this the right time? Is this the right place? Are you in the right you know, mental space, do you want to do this right now? Maybe we need to eat something first, or maybe we need to go for a swim or whatever. And, you know, we need to kind of relax into this or relax into being together before we're going to get right to the sexy stuff. Well, maybe she's changed her mind. And or this brings my changed her mind. Yeah, it brings me back to you, Joyce. So would you say young women are afraid to say no to sexual advances once the situation has started? Yes, and, and I guess one thing I'd want to say is how on earth can we expect our children to have the ownership of their bodies, ownership of language, um, and the right to say yes or no when we can't even model that for them in our homes by talking about it, right? So mm-hmm. we, we kind of send them out into the world unarmed. Um, I do find that girls capitulate because they... They want to feel um, a part of things, and I think there there has been a pretty well established, especially in the Me Too, Me Too movements, where the um, often a girl might say no or she'll show tentativeness, and then the boy often will just continue to ask, right. and um, right. and then she feels sort of beaten down. It wears her down, 
So that, I think, occurs. But what I say to girls when I talk to them is that one of the most important things that they can do is just to learn to stay in their bodies. And what they should be focusing is on, because girls are raised to always be thinking of the other, right? Who's looking at me? Who's judging me? Who's talking about me? So what I say is sometimes if there's a party on Friday, the girl might start thinking about it Wednesday. What, what's she going to wear, for example? Is she going to wear that outfit? Oh, maybe, no, Susie looks better in that outfit, or I don't want to shine over Susie, so I'm not going to wear that. It starts <laughs> that way. But the, the after-the-party stuff is true, too. Like, if she hooks up with somebody and um, is worried about that happening in the next party, her thoughts are usually about the other, right? How will, will, who will talk about her? Are they gossiping about her? Will it increase her social currency or devalue her social currency? Can she trust anyone to keep a secret? Who knows? What do they know? Is she a slut? Is she a whore? Is she a prude? And so she's already out of her body um, before the event happens. So I say when they're, when they're in the act of, whether it's holding hands or kissing or oral sex, it doesn't even matter what the sexual behavior is. I want them to learn to stay in their bodies so that they're focusing on what they want, what they're feeling, what they need. And from that vantage point, it's easier to know that they're ready for the next sexual step if they want to take it. And it's also easier for them to say, no, I need to stop because they're, getting, they're listening to the signals that are being generated by their own bodies. And I think it's the best way that they can be true to themselves it's the best way to get a read on how the boys or whoever, you know, maybe they're straight or bi, whoever the um, partner is, it's a way for them to also get a read on how that person is treating them. And that's data that you miss out on if you just capitulate. Oh, so that's so important. It's consistent with a, a blog I just saw that said, if you want to improve your sex life, do nothing but stay in the moment. <laughs> which yeah. is stay and stay in the moment of your body, just the way you're saying. Andrew, did you have a response to that? Um, I, I thought what Joyce said was great and right on. I had two other thoughts. One is that um, one of the things that we need to teach boys is that if your partner doesn't answer, that does not mean yes. Only yes <laughs> means yes. No answer mm-hmm. means you need to ask a second time. And if you don't get a, an answer after the second time, that means no. Um, and there may be sometimes when it, not asking a second time is also the better decision, but uh, kind of as a general rule, if you don't get an answer the first time or you're not sure what the answer is, you need to go ver- you need to use your words and clarify or find out is this okay? And no answer means no. Um, the other thing I'm gonna say here is that as we continue to move towards, equality in various ways and certainly in this realm we also need to be teaching our boys how to say yes or how to say no because they are not always the one to initiate Um, especially if we're talking about male male encounters only one person can be initiating but girls ask out boys as well and so we need to help boys understand how they might make a decision and, and what might get them to say yes or what might get them to say no, or how they might stall and, and find a way to you know, think about this for a few seconds because they've never considered being sexual with that person. Um, I, I think you're so right because in these little dialogues that I had read, one was of a young man hysterically anxious of having had sex and he wasn't sure if he had pushed too much or, but 
I think you're right in that often the boy is the recipient of the request and doesn't know he can say no or I want to slow it down or I think what Joyce said, what you said before, Joyce, the worry about image and judgment becomes Mm -hmm. so much of a blinder to really understanding where you're at. And it's such a great message to help anyone of any age consider. We're going to have to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're talking with Andrew Smiler and Joyce McFadden about speaking to your teens about sex. We have many more topics to come. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in for In the Black. Host Bob Dickerson and his guests take a look at black America and its socioeconomic place. In the Black will discuss the positive issues affecting black Americans, including education improvements, business growth, closing the racial wealth gap, activism, and more. In order for America to reach its full potential, Black America must do the same. Tune into In the Black, live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back. We're having a very important show today. Um, It's around Valentine's Day, so it's very important that we're talking and asking the question, how do we inform and share and open a comfort zone to speak to our children about sex. So there's two things I'm wondering about. If I put you in the situation as the dad of a college, a kid going to college, Andrew, um, 
How can you specifically talk to him about some of the nuances about consent and about safe sex? I mean, what would you say? And hopefully you've had the conversation before, but maybe not. It's not such an easy conversation to have. Right. That's a great question. And and we know that the vast majority of American teenagers have their first, ex- first voluntary experience of sex during high school. So hopefully we're having these conversations before they're heading off to college. Great. Um, but that said, at whatever age you're having the conversation, you probably already have some idea of whether or not or to what extent your kid is a risk taker. Some some kids are very cautious. Some kids have never met a risk or challenge they didn't like. And most of us fall somewhere in between. And that might be or that's one of the ways to get into discussions about sexual safety is to kind of recognize, you know, how much of a risk taker your kid is in other realms. And then if we think about, you know, our kids being... At, a co- at college and at a party, but again, this happens in high school as well, you know, are you going to take risks there? And what kind of risks are you going to take? Are you, you know, are you just willing to risk asking someone that you've never met to kiss? Are you willing to risk having unprotected sex? And by unprotected sex for boys, I mean sex where you're not wearing a condom. I don't really... You know, if if you are trusting her to be on birth control or something else, then you're already taking a risk. You're trusting her. And that's that's a point that we often need to make to boys because the things that prevent pregnancy in girls are not the same things that pre- prevent disease transmission. But a condom will do both. And a boy can control whether or not he's wearing Um So that might be a place to start because we know most teenage boys are not looking to become dads. Um, We can also ask about other risks, risks risks to boys' reputations. I know Joyce was mentioning girls' reputations, but boys also get reputations. And for boys, having reputation as a player is kind of a double-edged sword. Um, because that that gets you some punches on your man card there, but it can also be um, unattractive for some potential partners. So what risks might a boy want to take there? Um, for uh, especially once we get to a 19 or a 20 year old boy, you know what risks does he want to take as far as being with younger women? If you're 20 and you're having sex with a 17 year old, depending on the state you're in, that could be statutory rape even if there's consent all the way around. Um, And so we get into some different kinds of issues there. But talking about risk and especially considering how much risk your son or daughter already takes is often a useful lead-in. I think um, I want to mention, because you mentioned high school um, youngsters, very often will try sexting, sending the pictures of each other. And I think to maybe, maybe talk about where that goes over the legal line. Yeah. Um, so the the law on sexting um, comes in a, di- a few different flavors. So the FBI uh, is very clear that any kind of sexualized or naked image of anyone who is legally a minor qualifies as child pornography. And it doesn't really matter who the sender is. Um And then we also have state laws, and I don't know what state you're in. I know what they are here in North Carolina, but that's only going to help so many people. Um, So, you know, it is useful to know the law. It's also important to think about 
you know, why would you send someone this picture? And and what exactly is it that you you are looking for in terms of a response? Um, and what are you going to do, you know, five or ten years down the road if you're partnered with somebody else and this com- picture comes back? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are no, you know, the easiest answer is just don't do it. But we know that most people, many people who are online, teens and adults do this, um, sometimes deliberately and happily and willingly with their partner, sometimes often their married partner. Um, but then the things, you know, after a divorce, sometimes those pictures get shared as a form of revenge, mm. uh, which is illegal. So there's a lot of nuance that we need there. And mostly we need our kids to have good judgment. In, in terms of um, safe sex, um, it refers to everything you're saying. But one of the things that um, Andrew mentions that you mentioned in your book is a YouTube by a sex educator, Sanford Johnson, yeah. who does a fabulous video on how to put a sock on for shoe activity, which is really... Um, how to put a condom on and he yes. does it so well I think it's something anyone you, you'd get a kick out of it oh and, it's hilarious it's yes and so I'm, and one of the things that you've said in Joyce is said we want people who are listening to know throughout everything we're sharing when I say what would a dad say refers to moms and dads um, because one of the things we shared at the break was moms have an impact on their son's behavior and Dads have an impact on their daughter's sexual behavior. So that's a piece that, that we don't want to lose. Joyce, what about when people say, is porn the new sex education? I mean, how do we help girls with what, I mean, nobody, nobody in porn is asking for consent. Everybody's happy with no matter what is done to them. Usually the woman is the one done to. Uh, but there's all kinds of um, porn for every gender, um, LGBTQ group, and but nobody's unhappy, but nobody's asking anybody. So what? How how do you approach? How should we approach teens, kids, with the amount of porn that they are being already exposed to? Well, I think one of the things to think about is that there. I'm sure there are kinds, some kinds of porn that are. Um, educational and um, somehow helpful, but I think with <laughs> the, the trend that we're seeing is that it's becoming more and more violent, and women in particular are being more and more dehumanized in porn, so that there are sort of objects to have um, experiences with, and I know there's the great, like, heterosexual porn, there's great gay porn, so I know that it's out there, but... Um, the access that our kids have to it in an educational way, I think we should be talking more about the ways that it can also undermine their ability to enjoy and learn about sex. Because, um, as I was saying earlier, um, with regard to girls trying to stay in their body, I think there's something about so much porn consumption that encourages our kids to be out, boys, boys and girls, to be out of their bodies because they're thinking of something they've seen that they're trying to replicate, and therefore it sort of becomes a performance-oriented thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're focused on performing, you're less connected to your body, and so you're less connected to your own desires. And I think porn is sort of undermining um, girls and boys' uh, 
the, the delight that they could be experiencing in learning about their bodies and how their bodies respond, learning what they like that's coming from a very organic place that's unique to them. Um, and I think, especially with, when I talk to girls, the, some of the porn that they've watched and the boys have watched really doesn't have anything to do with female pleasure at all. Um, and so I think pleasure is sort of left out of the equation, and I know that pleasure is important for boys too, but the main difference I see is that male sexuality is just accepted in our culture and female sexuality isn't. So um, girls and women rarely get the message that they're even entitled to feel their own desire. So I think maybe to have our kids be cautious about, you know, just pay attention to what you're actually getting from the porn and make sure that it's not interfering with your ability to listen to and follow and trust your own body and to be able to get a read on what you want to share with your partner and um, how, how you feel it either, how you feel it moves the experience forward into a nice zone for you that's not so much to do with replicating some performance that you've seen on TV. And I would lastly say that parents are partially guilty for creating the need for kids to watch porn for educational purposes because we've created the void that then the porn steps into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, Andrew, in your book, you very importantly describe how neurophysiologically and physically a constant use of porn to masturbate will really impact and often cause an addiction that makes performance very difficult when a young man's with a real person. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I tell some of my young male clients who have erectile problems is that if they've spent the last two or three years practicing to have an orgasm by watching a screen and then reaching into their pants, and they've done that, you know, three times a day for the last three years, then they're going to struggle when they have a live partner. And it's it's very different. Um, But I want to go back to one of Joyce's points. Um, that when parents or other trusted adults aren't talking to kids about sex or dating, and we often run those two together, um, and kids want information, they're going to go find it for themselves. And so a lot of them turn to porn, and porn will give you the basic mechanics, and porn will give you a lot of range and ideas about what one could do with their body or somebody else's body. But it all comes without... Um, the moral framework that most parents want their kids to have when it comes to dating and sex. Um, as Joyce was saying, it's very hedonistic. It's very orient- tends to be very oriented towards male pleasure, with female pleasure optional or sometimes explicitly not there. Um, but we can we can ask our kids why they're watching it, what they hope to achieve by watching porn. We can also ask them some basic media literacy type questions like. What would you do in that situation? Or even would you want to be in that situation? Or mm-hmm. how would you change that situation so that it was better for you or better for your partner? Um, and get them to think about what they're seeing in more complicated ways. Mm. And it's, it's interesting that just as, as both of you have said, the asymmetrical relationship with the woman in the passive position is certainly something we don't want to encourage, but that is a piece of what certainly much of the porn sort of suggests or implies. The other thing, underscoring all of our talk about um, sex with kids, is the whole area of intimacy. And even as we're ending the show, Joyce, one of the things that made 
really struck me about the book that you shared is when girls wanted to ask their mothers questions that they never did, many asked like, did he, she really love dad? Why did she marry dad? Did she oh, have yeah. an affair? Did he have an affair? And I started thinking, it made me think how much we need to be cognizant of letting our children see us affection between um, the parents. That it is not just we never hug, we never kiss, we never do. Because that's a piece of what has to be sexual. And we want to empower them with a sense of intimacy as well as sexuality. And I think that came from the question in my book, which is, what do you most want to know about your mother but are afraid to ask? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the questions were largely, they had sexual questions, but they were about, yeah, did she ever love my father? Um, I think she had an abortion. I, I wonder if she's gay. Like, really big questions that have to do, again, with the living out of a life. So mm-hmm. I, I love those questions because they show that that's what they want from us. They want not just sexual data, right, which would, they can really get anywhere. They want to learn how, like, are couples survivable over time? How yeah. do you pick right. the right person? Is there the right person? How do you make these choices? How does love work? And it's messy, and I think mm. they just want our help in navigating the mess. And what right. could be so scary about that, right? We're all in the mm-hmm. mess together, and it's yeah. our job to escort our kids through the mess of everything else, learning the alphabet, learning addition, learning how to hit the baseball. It's all the same, um, bringing them into their lives. It's terrific. Um, Andrew, as we're just about out of time, is there a final take-home message you want to share? Um, yeah, and I'm going to kind of play off Joyce's point here. One of the big things that, that I hear, and it sounds like where Joyce was going there, um, is helping teens, helping ourselves understand how to integrate the physical and the emotional and the relational, including some of the trade-offs that we have to make and, and sometimes wondering you know, about the path not taken. Um, mm-hmm. We can explain these things to our kids, and we don't have to be perfect. Great. Yeah, we're so, all fumbling through it together. Yeah, okay. And there's a sense of belonging in that. Now, it, in, as if signaling me that we're sort of out of time, tell, let's quickly tell our listeners, Joyce, where can they find their, your book and where can they find you? Um, the book is on Amazon. It's called Modern Mothering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I republished it with a new title. The old title, it might still be around, which is Your Daughter's Bedroom. Um, mm-hmm. And they can. Fit, I practice in New York City. Okay. And Andrew, where can they find your books and you? Uh, so I'm based in Winston Salem, North Carolina, and folks can find me online at my website, andrewandrewsmiler.com. They can find the book Dating and Sex: A Guide for the 21st Century Teen Boy at any good, reputable bookseller, and perhaps some not-so-good, reputable booksellers as well. (laughs) Okay. Andrew Smiler and Joyce McFadden, it's been my pleasure to have you on Psych Up Live. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and the messages that you shared today. Thanks, Suzanne. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior shows at podcast by today in the evening, uh, this is um, Eastern Time, but certainly by tomorrow, this show will be a podcast app on your iPhone, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, you name it, and it'll be there if you want to hear it. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, take care, thanks, and be listening. 
Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.